Check out Unpacking Israeli History podcast. From the history of infamous terror groups, Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, a podcast about people who put bonus holes into Nazis. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. Thanks, thanks. I'm pretty proud of that one. My guest today is Carl. Hi, Carl. Hey, everyone. I'm particularly excited to hear about today. We left off on a real cliffhanger, so I want to hear about a lot of Nazis being killed by really rad women. Yeah, there's going to be so many more than just uh, Ludmilla, who's also killing more Nazis than anyone I've ever met. I'd like, say she did together. her part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, a lot more than uh, anyone else can really say for the most part. Yeah. And our producer is Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Hi, I'm happy. Daniel just sent me a really cute photo of his dog. <gasps> helping him edit. Oh. This is the like, I didn't really, I, I, I think that like adding to my like list of prepper things I'm trying to convince everyone is I'm also now just trying to convince everyone to get dogs because the mental yeah. health boost is just anyway um our producer is ian hi ian ian hey ian and on woman did our theme song and our uh moral support is by rinshra and anderson yeah oh rinshra is usually outside when i record these days not because i like oust him but if the weather accepts him being outside that is where he is all day. I whenever whenever I think of Rincha and I say his name, I get that warm and fuzzy <laughs> feeling because I just love him. This is obviously a podcast, but on the last one recorded, y'all got to see me on video. My kitty Fennel was up on my shoulders for a little while. Yeah, she's definitely a um, a good uh, a good companion for sure. Emotional she's a, support she makes life a better place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you're afraid of the responsibility that they bring, then you extra need a pet. I don't know, whatever. I mean, everyone makes their own decisions about shit. But one person who made a lot of decisions, 309 decisions about when to pull the trigger, was Ludmila Pavlchenko, and also made some decisions about probably sleeping with the First Lady of the United States, but maybe not. Maybe just having a super romantic friendship. I don't know. I kind of almost don't care the difference. Uh, that's what we're talking about today. We are in part two, or part four of the snipers, 
in part two of the subsection of the snipers about the Soviet uh, women who killed Nazis. You can tell I didn't script this part out. So, back to Ludmilla. After we did our aside learning about gay president, gay first ladies. She was supposed to show up at the White House, have dinner, try to convince the U.S. to join the war against Germany. And she does that. And then, well, not successfully convince the U.S. That doesn't happen. Um, But Eleanor Roosevelt and her are like, what if instead... We travel around the U.S. for months together and to drum up support for the Western Front, which is what the kids call it at the time. And, you know, like sex. And uh, she, so she goes touring around the U.S. with Eleanor Roosevelt, just gals being historically close pals. You will be shocked to know that the U.S. in the 1940s is a fairly sexist place. What? Are you, are you sure? Because, I mean, I I've seen stuff from the 50s, which, you know, looks like some people today want to make that a panacea, but I can't imagine the 40s were, like, worse even. <laughs> uh, so she goes on tour, and she's, like, killed more people than anyone anyone else is ever going to meet. And the press is just, like, talking about how long her skirt is, um, that it's too long. It's, like, whereas American women wear shorter skirts or whatever, how her uniform makes her look fat like literally fat shaming her about like how much she chooses to eat. They ask her about makeup and about what makeup she wears at the front. And I am really impressed that she didn't just look at the audience and say, I've killed three times as many people as there are people in this room. But what she did say is actually pretty cool. It's pretty much that in Chicago, when the crowd is like asking her this bullshit, basically like at first she's like, why are they asking me these questions? And then like Eleanor Roosevelt's like, you can just say whatever you want. Fuck these people. She's like, oh, yeah, I can say whatever I want. Fuck these people. So in Chicago, she says, I am 25 years old and I have killed 309 fascist invaders by now. Don't you think, gentlemen, that you have that you've been hiding behind my back for too long? Oh, brutal. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. So this is like the this is the equivalent of the YouTube comments telling her how to shoot better. Because she's a woman. Come on, little lady. I know how to shoot better than you because I'm a guy. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, I I am one of the most highly decorated military people in history. Um, Sick burn, as they say. Yeah. (laughs) And, And so it's this thing, again, though, where it's like women fighters are being used as propaganda. It's not like, hey, women, we can do it. It's like, men, you're not manly enough. A girl is doing your work for you. But the same time, playing on men's emotions and utilizing patriarchy to fight against patriarchy has been a women's a woman's tactic since forever and is a fairly effective one. And I can't actually hate someone for using that tactic, you know? Everywhere she goes, it's mostly the unions showing up and offering her gifts as thank yous. And she hung out with like workers at bars and at union halls and shit. The leather workers union gave her a fur coat. And it's funny too, right? Most of the time you read about this fur coat she's given, it's like implied that it's just given to her by like a rich person because they think of a fur coat as a rich person thing, right? Mm-hmm. And rich people are the people who buy the fur coats. They're not the people who make the fur coats. It is union labor that made these coats. Um, say what you will about fur or whatever. And as she's going around, she's just like more and more is just like, man, fuck you all. And she's just like starts talking about how in the USSR, they don't have a fucking segregated army. And like how women are allowed to fight at the front line and shit. And she's exaggerating about women allowed to fight fight at the front line, but it sure is a hell of a lot more equal. She doesn't manage to get the U.S. to join the European theater. 
um, that has to wait a while. Americans like being fashionably late. That said, all along they've been sending a fuck ton of material aid, which I guess would now be called lethal aid. And I actually don't. I I think that lethal aid is funny. I don't actually care. I'm not like mad that people call it that. I just think it's funny. Yeah, although, no, I think that is, I mean, the reality of the amount of war material that was sent to the Soviet Union for this endeavor shouldn't be understated. It was immense. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and like, and you know, the more you, there's some quote from some general I don't remember, but it's like, the more you learn about battle and war and strategy and shit, you start off caring about tactics, you end up moving to strategy, and then above that, you realize that the highest thing of all is like food supply lines, you know? It's like Napoleon with his canned food. Whoa, Napoleon had canned food. Oh, wait, did you not? This is interesting. No, so, prepper hero? No, oh, Napoleon? It, seriously, no. <laughs> this is a, a topic for another day. But yeah. one of the things the Napoleonic army had going on, going for itself was they essentially had a, 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 essentially a project going, which was find a way to make us be able to be more mobile with food. And that's where canned food came from. And they had canned food in the Napoleonic army and they could move their armies and their supply lines in a way that no one else could. And it was hugely effective. At the end of 2025, when the civil war has been raging for a year and I opened my last can of canned corn thinking I had enough for seven years, but it actually turns out people eat an awful lot of food. I'll say to myself, thanks, Napoleon. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. He offered apparently a 12,000 franc cash prize to whoever could come up with this idea. And that's Whoa. what came out was canned food. Whoa. I've been making hardtack lately. Oh god! As part of my prepper bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's response is like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And I'm like, "It's gonna last seventy years." That's rough stuff. I mean, but I was I was talking about this the other day, and it's, it's like, fine. It's what just about like a consulting that sucks and hurts your teeth? Slightly off topic. Well, you got to dip it in the coffee long enough that it becomes yeah, edible, yeah. right. But like off. But what about like this the Viet Cong method of just stores of rice and spam? Like that stuff lasts forever too. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's my plan for my... Well, this is not in my proper podcast. Let's go back to the history part. Okay, sorry. That's right. another day. No, no, no. I'm the one... Who, okay, so... Anyway, she goes and she goes on this tour for several months and she's hanging out with Eleanor Roosevelt and they're like best friends and, and it, it might literally be just that, but it might not. Um, and God bless them both, at least in this con- situation either way. I, I don't care. So... She makes her way back to the USSR and she spends the rest of the war teaching people how to kill Nazis. She's actually begging to go back to the front, but they don't let her, which is like fucked up in some ways, but also it's like she's probably more useful passing on the, her skills at this point, you know, both as a propaganda. Oh, yeah. She, the lessons, cool, the lessons she learned on the front yeah. are like, uh, uh, how many people did she sort of save with like things that she learned the hard way? Right. And one of the things that I feel like actually gets left out in terms of like women's contribution to the world too, right? Is that like teaching is an important part of getting things done. And so like the person who doesn't want to do the support work and just wants to be the hero is actually often less accomplishing less than the person who is teaching, who is, um, you know, turning other people into Nazi killers too, you know, and saving their lives by teaching them fieldcraft. And anyway, after the war, she gets her master's degree or maybe her PhD. I've read both. She becomes a historian, but she struggles the rest of her life with PTSD and alcoholism. And people were like, oh, she's just sad that her husband died. But I mean, she'd probably never married that guy. Um, she might have married a different husband after the war who died 
right away. Um, I think she was said PTSD and shit because she was sad because she'd been through the wildest shit that humans have ever been through and killed 309 people and saw millions of people slaughtered. I mean, yeah, perhaps she survived the Eastern Front, and even though they were Hitlerites or fascists, as she said, she was still pressing the trigger and sending a bullet into what was a human. Yeah, totally. Of 2,484 women snipers in the Red Army, only about 500 survived the war. Um, I'm sure that didn't help her PTSD or shell shock, as it was called back then. I'm sure survivor's guilt was probably a big part of a lot of this especially being rescued from Sevastopol by submarine as like you're special, everyone else, including your potential husband is just going to die while you're gone. You know, this 20% survival rate is way lower than the rest of the red army, which was at around 65%. Like the fuck ton of red army people died. Right. Mm. Um, or casualties of, of one sort or another. But in this case, we're like talking about literally 20% survival rate for the snipers. The human toll that it took to destroy the Nazis. Um, it, it, I mean, it the Soviet methods could be discussed, but yeah. cannot be cannot be overstated. Yeah. Fifteen years later, after the war, Eleanor Roosevelt goes to Moscow, and she insists. She's like, "I want to see my old friend Ludmilla," but this is Cold War times, right? And they're like, "Nah, you can't see Ludmilla." And she's like, "Let me see Ludmilla." And she basically throws a fit. She's like, "I'm the fucking well." She's not the first lady anymore at this point, although she did. I think she was first lady for like 16 years. But she has to fight like hell to get the USSR to agree to let her see Ludmilla. And I've seen a couple different versions of like where they meet. Maybe it's Ludmilla's house. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. When they do see each other, they both have these military details following them, like bodyguards and handlers and shit. They can't really reconnect. They're like, oh, hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And then while they're walking down a hall, they like dash into some kind of side room and then like a closet or a bathroom or actually maybe a kitchen. Again, I've heard this story gets told different every single fucking time, but no one tells the important part of it. And so they, they barricade themselves off into a different room and they can finally reconnect. And you know, the way the story usually gets told is that Eleanor throws her arms around Ludmilla and says how much she've missed her. And they reminisce about their times together until the guards get the doors open or whatever. And the story is so funny because it just like actually doesn't make sense until you realize that they had a, at least a romantic friendship, you know, regardless of anything that they may or may, may not have gotten up to. They had a romantic friendship. They had a romantic lesbian connection. And that is like the only way that this story is important part of the story. It's always included. And I'm like, why did you include this? Until I found out that Eleanor Roosevelt was a lesbian. And then I like started whatever. Anyway, it's almost, it's almost sounds like something you'd see in like a fictional movie, but it's, but it's actually real. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think that they like locked themselves in and like boned or something, but like they reconnected as these people who had like probably loved one another in whatever context. And like, they finally able to reconnect, you know? So Ludmilla died at a stroke at 58 years old. Um, I'm sure that the series of traumatic brain injuries and the alcohol that she used to cope with her trauma had something to do with her early death. But she killed 309 Nazis and she probably cucked the president of the most powerful capitalist nation on earth. So it's like a pretty crammed full life. It's hard to not keep in making the joke, but she has an incredible body count, like yeah. legitimately. Yeah. Of, of high ranking officials across the board. <laughs> so who fucking knows how many people, how, you know, the real count 
but the best we've got is the 309 number. She's one of the deadliest snipers in history. Almost everyone else on the top of that list is Soviet snipers in World War II. I obviously have no particular love for the Soviet government or authoritarianism writ large, but the USSR is where Nazism went to die at the hands of women and men who fought, sometimes with literally nothing to stop them. And, and I think about this a lot. I'm like, why? I will never conflate Nazism and Stalinism, even though I strongly disagree with Stalinism, right? And that's because the average fascist is a nightmare man who wants to kill everyone who's different from him. While the average state communist, I believe, is a well-meaning, hardworking person who believes in a dream that has been led into horrors by their government. That's my like. Which governments are so apt to do regardless of whatever ism they're associated yep. with. Yep, totally. Because you could say the same about American patriots. It, some of them. Oh, some of a- them are fascists. Absolutely. The, the, the intent of the... Fascism's entire ideology is based on, on, on supremacy of a specific group and the destruction of others in the process. And while that's not yeah. the case, in, even it was not the case in the USSR, the, the higher-ups and the hierarchy in the government was definitely horrific. But the individual paid the price to save the world from fascism. Yep. Absolutely. The 2,500 or so women snipers killed at best guess 11,000 Nazis during the war. Another one who rose to prominence was named Rosa Shanina. And she was named after Rosa Rosa Luxemburg. Rosa was raised on a collective farm. She was one of seven kids. At 14, she walked 120 miles by herself across the taiga to get to a rail station to head off to college without her parents' permission. She worked as a kindergarten teacher to fund her education. She graduated in 1942 as war was hitting the country. And being a kindergarten teacher in the USSR in the 1940s meant that one of her jobs before she joined the military was that she and other teachers kept guard on rooftops to watch out for bombers. And when one of her three brothers to die in the war died, she volunteered. She found her way to the school for women snipers that had been set up, the Central Women's Sniper Training School. She was really fucking good. They asked her to stay and teach, and she was like, no, I have fucking Nazis to kill. She wound up the commander of a platoon of female snipers in the 184th Rifle Division. And it's interesting because her story, well, okay, she kills her first man. She's in a trench. She kills a guy and her legs collapse beneath her and she slumps into the trenches and she's like, I just fucking killed a guy. Well, the actual quote is, I've killed a man. I don't need to paraphrase it when it's fairly direct. And the other women were like, that wasn't a man, that was a fascist. And they help her back to her feet. And in her war diaries, which were illegal for her to keep, a few months later, she realized that killing fascists in cold blood gave meaning to her life and that she would do everything the same if she could do it all over. And I actually trust this information about her a little bit more than I trust the Ludmilla information because all of her autobiographical stuff was written illegally rather than goes written by propagandists, right? She wasn't allowed to keep this diary and she did it anyway. When the Soviet high command tried to force women to withdraw from the front, she refused orders and kept fighting, crossing into Germany and killing Germans on their own soil. Basically, like, just like was like ignored orders and kept fighting and no one like stopped her. Well, I mean, if you're good at your job and it's fascist dying, it probably, yeah, don't do that. But that's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Like, and at one point during all this, she was shot through the shoulder. Another time she suffered friendly fire from a rocket launcher. I believe this was not a direct hit. Um, 
Oh uh, yeah, no, that it. tends to be pink mist. Yeah, probably yeah. shrapnel. <laughs> yeah, I think this. I think it was like a fire element of it somehow because she talks about like now I understand why everyone's afraid of this fire or something. I don't know. Mm. And she wrote once in her diary, and I really like this quote: "The essence of my happiness is fighting for the happiness of others." It's strange. Why is it that in grammar, the word happiness can only be singular? That is counter to its meaning. If it, ter- if it turns necessary to die for the common happiness, then I'm braced too. And on January 27th, 1945, after being cut open by a shell fragment, she died. Wow. And getting, getting close to the end too, frankly. I know. I mean, yeah. No, I know, yeah. She'd killed at least 59 Nazis by the time she died, and she was only 20 years old. And she died fighting for the happiness of others, which she wrote explicitly. She was braced to do so, you know? Or take Nina Petrova, who's a gym teacher and a sniper instructor who helped invade, invade Finland, actually, so wasn't doing so good in that particular one from my point of view. But she was too old to be drafted when Operation Barbarossa hit. She was in her late 40s by the time the war started, but she volunteered. And she died actually on May 1st, 1945, just days before the end of the war. She trained 512 snipers and she personally killed 122 enemy soldiers. And she was 51 years old. There's a special place in my heart for the like. In, in, in one of the books I wrote, I called them the Gray Brigade, the people who like the veterans who like actually don't need to fight. They're like old enough that no one's going to give them shit, you know? Yeah, it's like the person in the movie when they get to them and they're a veteran from the war before and they're like, I know stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 no, it's fascinating to see again, as we talked about in the other episode, how not only the fortitude of these these women, but also how the skill is transcends that of age or gender. It's yeah. like it's 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 the person, right? Absolutely. Yeah, this fifty one year old woman killed fucking hundred and twenty two people and trained five hundred and twelve people, which is literally she trained a fifth of the snipers. You know? The butterfly effect of how many fascists died because of her actions is immeasurable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very few women were involved directly in the infantry. Uh, snipers are technically infantry, but the non-sniper infantry. Women ran anti-aircraft guns and sometimes actually would then like, that would turn into hand-to-hand fighting, you know, during sieges and stuff. They drove tanks and they ran machine guns. There's a Ukrainian woman, Maria Otkabraskia. And she's, she's one of my favorites. I want, I want the movie of her. Her husband died in the fighting. And she didn't find out for like two years because she'd retreated from the front, right? And she was an army wife. And she mostly just wrote about like being an army wife. She was like, being an army wife rules. I actually, this is like an important part of the military. I do all this stuff, you know? And then her husband goes to the front during the war and she like retreats off to somewhere safe. She finds out two years later that he's died. The war is still going on. She sells everything she owns. She's not a rich woman. She sells everything she owns to buy a tank. And then she donates it to the Red Army with one condition. I will give you a tank. I am the driver of this tank. <laughs> the original Killdozer. This one was named The Fighting Girlfriend. Amazing. Yeah. She was 38 years old. And she just She took it into battle after battle. She took out machine gun nests. She took out artillery. 
And then one day, you know, this was not going to last. Uh, she was killed. She was killed while, while repairing her tank in the field. And how come it's always movies about a guy on a murder rampage after his wife is killed when this story, lady's story is right there? That's what I got. I want to know. Yeah, listen up, Hollywood. This is this is good. All of these are great stories that should be told over and over again and have been, yeah, a, a, to a large degree, intentionally ignored because it doesn't serve the other narratives. Yep. And then there's the most famous of the women units, the Night Witches. But I'm not going to let you hear about them until you hear about I want something good we could advertise. Uh, this show is sponsored by having three days worth of food and water. I was going to say it's sponsored by tea. Oh, tea is good. And building a community with your neighbor? Yeah. It's sponsored by building a community with your neighbor by inviting them to tea. Drink, drink tea with your neighbor. That's our sponsor. Yep. And share hard tech. Yeah. And if anything else comes up, uh, again, just direct that to our complaints department. You know how to find it on Twitter. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save 40% site-wide. Get 40% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. So, you know how there have been all women units in the before Soviet times because a woman who had personal connections with the authoritarian head of state got special permission? Welcome to history repeating itself. 
<laughs> you just read the podcast again. <laughs> it's for reading. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's a good one because you can just like do the next episode the same again over and over again because these <sighs> stories are so consistent, aren't they? I know. Yeah. I actually just take a, um, a Mad Libs and I like swap in like authoritarian leader Margaret dislikes, you know? <laughs> so there's this woman who's not named Maria. Her name's Marina. Marina Raskova. And she's the first female navigator in the Air Force. And she's like, and this is before the war. And she's like called the Russian Amelia Earhart and she's all famous and shit. I don't like her. She had a personal connection with Stalin. Almost certainly the personal connection she had with Stalin is because she was an informer for the secret police during the Great Terror and saw tons of people murdered over bullshit, including actually the parents of one of the people that we're going to talk about later. Um, this is the period in time when just tons and tons of loyal Communist Party folks just got fucking murdered by their own side, uh, including gutting the military infrastructure. They'd also just killed the guy who invented their new tank, the like T-34 or whatever it was called. Stalin had a real penchant for finding really bright, the best and brightest and making sure they didn't live very long. <laughs> yeah. Which is not like a good thing to do right before the Nazis are going to invade. In case anyone well, listening is trying to figure out whether you want to do something called the Great Purge or the Great Terror right before the Nazis invade, you got to time it differently. Oh my gosh, for everyone suffering in a corporate existence nowadays, it's the equivalent of the boss that won't hire someone better than them because they're worried about, worried about their job. Yeah, totally. Just that with tens of millions of lives. Um, but just put to the worst ex- worst degree ever, right? This guy yeah. is so so concerned about himself and his own narcissism that he can't deal with anyone being better than him. Yeah. So, Marina, she's not a cool person doing cool per- stuff. She's a bad person doing cool stuff. She uses her connections with Stalin to get three all-female flying regiments formed on October 8th, 1941. Stalin's stated reason for approving it was that all women units are good propaganda. Once again, there's three units. One is a day bomber unit, one is a night bomber unit, and one is a fighter pilot unit. And this makes the USSR the first country in the world that I'm aware of. Anytime I say the first, it's like, you know, there's always something, but whatever. It's the first country to let women conduct flying combat operations. The most famous of these is the Night Bomber Unit. And they have a bunch of different names. The most famous official name is, because they, they changed their official name a bunch of times over the course of the war. Though I think the one they ended with and the one that they usually remembered as, well, it's not what they usually remembered as, usually remembered as their nickname. But it's the 46th Tommen Guards Night Bomber Aviation Regiment. Uh, a real catchy <laughs> name. They flew old biplanes that had been used for crop dusting and pilot training. And one thing I was reading that kind of blew my mind, they were so slow that they were really effective in combat because their maximum speed was slower than the stalling speed of the German planes. So it was like hard for fighters to dogfight them. Literally hit the brakes, they fly by you, and you're still in the air. Yeah. Wow, that's really, that's that counterintuitive stuff, right? Everyone's trying to go for more speed. Yeah. But in this instance, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. I I did not know that. And that's, it makes sense, but you would not think about it. No, totally. And I think it's like, they invented the strategy that they're going to use because it's, I doubt they're like, all right, we want biplanes because we're going to do the following shit. I think the USSR was like, all right, ladies, 
here's your crop dusters. And they were like, all right, we'll still fuck up Nazis. Yeah, it's a Johnny mnemonic moment of when, when they go high tech, go low tech. And yeah. They did it. Yeah. But yeah, but because they were probably given the worst crap possible. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and overall, like the, the Soviet Union started World War II with like way the fuck more planes and tanks than anyone else. But they also started off with like old as fuck tanks and planes compared to everyone else. Um, some of the other people we're going to be talking about were also f- in fighters that were wood and fabric, you know? So they fly up high and then they purposefully stall their engines and glide down to bombing altitude with their engines off. So the only sound their planes are making is the wind passing through the, you know, biplane wings. Which supposedly sounds like broomsticks in the night. Thus, the Germans called them the night witches. Or just as likely, the Soviets declared that the Germans called them the night witches. See, the White Death and Lady Death. However, it's still cool as fuck. Oh, it's a badass name. I mean, what could you ask for better than that? Yeah. On top of that, think about the... um the the sand it takes to use an old time term <laughs> to do that to like literally kill engines glide under without without power yeah into a combat area to drop bombs is um it takes a lot yeah absolutely and so they blow up nazis and then they turn their engines back on and race back up out of anti aircraft range and get the fuck out of there that is the glamorized version of night bombing In practice, night bombing is less targeted and is more of a weapon of terror and total war. British Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin put it that the purpose of night bombing was to, quote, kill the enemy's women and children more rapidly than they killed ours. The irony of this is that that consistently, and correct me if I'm wrong or if you know something differently, is that that sort of terror bombing campaigns, which night bombing would be because technology of its time just didn't lend itself to the accuracy required to hit quote, strategic resources, it was entirely used to supposedly break the morale of the enemy. Right. But the truth was, when you came out and your home was gone from your bunker and your home was gone and your family was dead, it more often than not just turned you into uh, a more stalwart enemy of whoever did it. I, I think that that's true. I um, I have a friend who, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show or not before, uh, I have a friend who his, his grandparents were Nazis and they started the war fiercely anti-Nazi and then after the Allies killed 90% of their family in a bombing on, raid on their city they joined up for the Nazis the next day and like that's a weird situation to be caught in where you, you're against what's going on but at the same time the end result is you or everyone you care and loving about love dying in the process right. that's a challenging problem to be in do yeah. you defend yourself against American air raids that might destroy Nazism when it's your life on the line in the process? That's a weird problem. I know. And it's like, I have this like easy out in that I hold myself to this ridiculous moral standard. So I'd be like, well, I'd be, I'm also a gay trans woman anarchist. So like, I wouldn't have any other choice in this matter. I would be fighting the Nazis in a partisan sense or having escaped the country. But like, for people who hadn't had to make certain decisions yet, right? You know, um, like I, I don't think that the, the its grandparents made the right decision, but I can't imagine most people making any other one. You know, the best argument here is that terror bombing's a bad idea. Like perhaps that's just maybe that's the lesson to be learned here. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I've read a little bit about the night witches where they talk about like actually trying to hit things accurately. Like there's a one account where like a woman goes over her target three times 
because she thinks that she's not over the right target because no one's shooting at her. And she's mm-hmm. like, this is too important a target for them to have not be shooting at me. Therefore, I'm not over the target. And so, like, there is a, like, sense. It's like, I don't have any information about the night, which is specifically just doing terror bombing. And it's, like, blurry, you know? And I do have the numbers. Um, I don't have numbers on how many civilians they killed. But I have the numbers on the Nazi infrastructure they destroyed. So the information that's available to me, they are cool people doing cool stuff. With the information that's possible, they are cool people doing interesting stuff. <laughs> I don't know how to, you know, whatever. Sitting in moral judgment, that's the other name of this podcast. It is also possible that with old antiquated biplanes that they were trying to do targeted bombing because that typical night bombing campaigns yeah. that were terror campaigns were like, you know, 300 B-17s dropping zillions of tons of munitions, and they couldn't do that. They didn't have the kind of planes totally. that made that possible. Totally. These are fucking crop dusters. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. The Night Witches were 42-person crews at a time, and not each raid, but, you know, added, there was 40 planes in the Night Witches set up, and they dropped 3,000 tons of bombs and 26,000 incendiary shells. They destroyed 17 river crossings, 9 railways, 2 railway stations, 26 warehouses, 12 fuel depots, 176 armored cars, 86 firing points, and 11 searchlights. So to put this into context, one firebombing campaign against Frankfurt mm-hmm. was 12,197 tons. That's one one bombing campaign the U.S. did in a terror bomb. Ah, yeah, yeah. So this puts this into direct context, con- contrast. No, no, that... That's really useful. To, that is useful information to have because I, I really like the Night Witches, you know, like how can you not? They're the fucking Night Witches. And they, yeah, I'm just rolling through this and we're talking like 15,000 tons, 20,000 yeah. tons dropped on Sebastopol alone. Like the numbers here put into contrast. Yeah. Hell yeah. They probably were trying to be targeted in their aiming. Well, a total of 261 Night Witches served. 32 of them died during the war. From a combination of plane crashes, combat deaths, and friend of the pod, tuberculosis. And I hope that one day, some kid who grows up listening to this podcast is going to grow up thinking about tuberculosis the way I grew up thinking about quicksand. You know? Because it's like fucking everywhere in fiction. (laughs) Um, Oh, it's always going to get you. It's still probably out there waiting. I guess tuberculosis is coming back, so we can be afraid of that again. Yeah, and and the, the developing world. Uh, or the fucked over world or however you want to phrase it still suffers a lot with tuberculosis but um, it's just funny because it is in every fucking episode well when the when the when the antibiotic strains collapse then it'll come back yeah something to look forward to some of the night witches did crazy shit like one of them survived three different plane crashes and then kept doing it uh, one faked a crash landing to like throw off her attackers. She just nosedived with the engines off, like, oh God, you got me. And then, like, last minute, like, pulled away because you're in a fucking crop duster. It's meant to fly close to the ground and shit, you know? One of them had all of her legs broken in a crash and then returned to flying missions, despite the doctor being like, you can't do that. All of your legs are broken. And she's like, got Nazis to kill. Don't know what to tell you. They're cool as shit. I don't know a ton about the day bomber unit. But I know a bit about some of the fighter units. I think the other two units didn't stay all women long. The fighter regiment at least sometimes had to use men as tail gunners because not enough of the women recruited were tall enough to operate the tail gun of the plane, which had obviously been designed by a man, but not by Stalin. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
or Simo. There is one fighter pilot, though, who stands out to me, who is probably my favorite person this whole week. And she's the one who, like, whenever I, I have my like, friends that when I'm doing my research, I, like, message being like, oh, my God, I found the coolest thing, you know? And the coolest thing that I found was these screaming deals. Sophie, is that work? <laughs> Sophie is giving me an enthusiastic thumbs up and nodding vigorously. And I'm totally not... I deny this. Yeah, okay. Well, here's some other podcasts you can listen to and or stuff to get. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now, specifically when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza. Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week, where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli history wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. And I'm really impressed that Sophie managed to get all of those different uh, Nightwicking groups to sponsor the podcast at last minute. I do not sleep. All I do is think about ads. I mean, that's probably true, even though what I said was a lie. <laughs> the don't sleep part's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> womp womp. Well, you ever heard of the woman who has the most kills as a fighter pilot? No, I, I have not. I'm excited. I, th- to sadly, the, the 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 most famous fighter pilot or woman pilot I can think of was a bad person that did cool stuff. But we'll talk about her another day. Oh, okay. Wait, who is it? 
Hannah Reich, who was the test pilot for the Nazis. Oh, wow. She did some wild stuff, flying one of the first helicopters, test flying the M-163 rocket jet. Um, She flew into Berlin when it was under siege at the end of the war to try to get Hitler to leave under gunfire, like crazy stuff. Damn. But bad person that did cool things. Yeah, no, Um, yeah. Yeah. She did such cool things that she actually has to be referenced in uh, air museums regularly because she did so many achievements in terms of test fi- test piloting. <laughs> That's got to be so awkward every single time, you know. <laughs> yeah, you go into the museum and it's like there's like there's a, actually a in in Tucson of all places mm-hmm. at the museum there's a list of like famous pilots and famous women pilots and mm-hmm. they have Hannah Reich there and they're like I guess we got to put this plaque up. Yeah, I mean. That's the thing about identity politics is that it is a useful it is a useful thing to care about like people at the intersection of different oppressions like overcoming barriers and all this shit. It is a useful thing and I am proud of the work that women cis and trans have done and like you know that said it doesn't make you a good person if you have if you're oppressed along a particular axis. Heh. <laughs> axis in this case (laughs) history is difficult and muddy and human culture and relations are not easily put into any form of box yeah but i'm gonna put lydia litvik into the box of my favorite person this week she is one of two women in history to earn the title of flying ace which means you've brought down five or more enemies right this is no long it's not I don't know if they still have five flying aces or not. Yeah, no, they do. And it's still five, I believe. Okay. Um, The other woman who has this honor is also a Soviet World War II pilot. Lydia was the first woman in history to kill enemy combatants in the air. She fought for two years. She flew 66 missions and she took down, and most of these aren't like, go kill a guy, right? Most of these missions are like, escort these bombers, right? So it's not like, the fact that she only, quote unquote, only has somewhere between seven and 16 victories out of 66 missions. It's like the best mission is when you don't have to have any victories. You just escort the bombers, you know? Yeah, the real mission is how many bombers get back home. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So she takes down between seven and 16 vic- uh, enemy planes, depending on who's counting. She's born to a Jewish family and her father was a party communist, but he was arrested and purged as an enemy of the people. Uh, when when Lydia was a child as part of the Great Terror. So, the party commissar was always getting Lydia in trouble during her military career. She would show no remorse for slipping out at night to go dance with the men. They'd like bring her to like trial and be like, are you sorry you danced with the men? And she's like, no, we're all about to die. I danced with some men. <laughs> you know? Her commissar called her, as an insult, a swanky, flirtatious aviatrix. Aviatrix? What a name. I know. I know. I'm certain she took this as a compliment. Uh, She lied on her military application. She exaggerated her hours in the the air by like a hundred in order to be, you have to have a certain number of hours to get into this like, you know, fighting airplane crew or whatever. She was like, oh yeah, I have like a hundred more and I actually do. Eventually, they caught her, but they couldn't ground her because she was so fucking good. She flew in a piece of shit plane, a Yak-1B, made of fabric and wood with one engine. She would do shit like when she's coming in for a landing. She would, like, fly bonus acrobatics that would, like, piss off her commanders because she's endangering herself for no reason, you know? And she's a femme hero. 
they made all the women cut their hair short. And she was like, fine, if I have to cut my hair short, she threw a fit about it. But when she was, they're like, all right, I'm going to cut my hair short. I'm going to bleach it. And she sent a friend out to get hydrogen peroxide so she could bleach her hair. She dyed and sewed colorful scarves from parachute materials taken from captured German pilots, right? Like the, the fucking POWs. She'd just like steal their fucking parachutes and make fucking victory scarves out of them. She kept a picture of red roses in her cockpit. And every morning she picked fresh wildflowers and filled her cockpit with fresh wildflowers. She also scattered wildflowers on the wings of, her pl- of the plane as sort of a ritual in the mornings before combat. There are these probably what false. A, go ahead. Oh, what an awesome human being! Oh, I mean, like yeah. all of this together. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I just like. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. She fucking rules. I'm looking at. I'm looking at a picture of her right now with the haircut, like you described, and. Uh, oh yeah. She, she cuts an impressive visage. Let's say. Yeah, that is true. And there are these probably false rumors that she had a white lily painted on the side of her plane. I'm sure she would have done it. But everyone shared planes, and the men might not have gone for it. She didn't have, like, her plane, right? At one point, she was arrested by her own side for sewing fur into the collar of her uniform. Basically, she was just always getting written up for being, like, too cool. A few weeks before her first mission, she wrote a letter to her mother. And part of it is, quote, What can be in store for me? Either something wonderful and magnificent or everything might collapse in an instant into the ordinary routine of the civilian life which ordinary sinners live. Of course, I want to live, if only a little, but a wild, interesting life. The hour will soon come when we shall soar on the wings of hawks, and the life we live will be very different. So she's just like fucking YOLO, nihilist, anti-fascist, femme. It's just, I just keep liking her more. I want to say something amazing, but like, frankly, that left me kind of speechless. It's so powerful and stunning. And what, what, what I, what I would want to live up to like on my given day, right? I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, totally. The first Nazi she, she downed was, well, she took two down in the first fight, but one of them survived and became a POW. And there's a couple versions of this. Like one is that he like insists to be like, I want to see the person who, the, I want to see the man who brought me down, you know? And so they like, Or I think actually the Soviets probably just did this to torture him to be like, fuck you. But anyway, the Soviets introduce him to Lydia just to be like, yeah, you you got beat by a tiny girl, you Nazi fuck. (laughs) And she's like 20, 21 during all this fighting. At one point, she breaks her leg after being shot down after bringing down two enemies on her own. And while she's recovering, she becomes internationally famous. She's the White Rose of Stalingrad, they called her. And... They offer an extended leave to recover, and she's like, nah, I'm good. I got fucking Nazis to shoot down. She apparently, and this I just like doubt because it's the same story as uh, Ludmilla, she found and married another pilot, but soon he died in a plane crash. She might have. This one I like more, but I mean, she definitely is like, I mean, she's into boys, you know? Uh-huh. She totally could have done that. You know, it's also possible people just had a lot of short wild love affairs interrupted by violence because it is world war fucking two. Well, yeah, especially on the Soviet side of this life was so short and cheap. Like, yeah. how could you not want to really relish in every moment of it you had? Yeah, totally. And so after her, after his death, uh, her, her, her cheerful nihilism, as I'm choosing to call it, increased her like 
fuck it, just got to get this shit done, you know? On the 1st of August, 1943, when she was 21 years old, she went down in a dogfight against overwhelming odds, fighting Nazis while escorting some bombers. Because there was no explosion and her body wasn't recovered for a long time, she was presumed captured. And therefore, do you know that if you're captured by Nazis, you were denied like any possible awards? I thought it was worse than that. You were not just not a denial. Oh, yeah, they'll shoot you. If you were to be brought back, yeah. you would probably be executed, if not at least gulagged. Yeah. Well, she doesn't come back, right? She is downed. She's, yeah. she's dead. Um, but no one knows But I didn't that. realize it also turned into a meaning that you did. A, so post-death, you were not. That, 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 that stall in order yeah. uh, even meant you Which weren't I'll, even provided awards. Yeah, she was yeah. denied the award of Hero of the Soviet Union. Um, you had heard of this order. I had not heard of this order. Because Stalin is an evil fuck, Soviet prisoners of war were considered by the USSR guilty until proven innocent of um, collaboration. Order number 270 was a no surrender, no retreat policy written by a man who wasn't fighting. This included any pilot who fell behind enemy lines and had to like take off her uniform before coming back. One of the night witches actually had this happen to her. She had to like take off her uniform to get back to the fucking lines, you know? And since she didn't have her, like, insignia that proves she's a night witch or whatever, they're like, oh, you're a collaborator. And they're going to fucking execute her. And she's so loyal, according to the version of it, that she won't appeal her own case. She's like, if Stalin demands it, then I shall die, supposedly, you know? And then she's saved at the last minute by a commander who's like, what are you fucking doing? Right? Yeah, this is very commonly referred to as not a step back order yeah um, which also became part of the soviet propaganda post order 227 yeah that makes sense soviets uh, stalin's quote was there are no soviet prisoners of war only traitors red army soldiers were apparently told that their families would be shot if they deserted or you know let themselves be captured as just an additional you'd better fucking go out fighting you better i mean you better fucking shoot yourself is what they're saying Former prisoners of war were never recognized as veterans and they were denied veterans benefits. This is a 1.5 million soldiers that are, I, I don't know if it ever got resolved, but at least at the beginning, um, I fucking hate Stalin. <laughs> what a piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, I'm reading this panic makers and cowards must be liquidated on the spot and the panic makers. <sighs> yeah. Fuck you. It's an interesting question to ask, and this is beyond the scope. This is a philosophical question almost, but the amount of people that dedicated like their lives, both the ones that died and survived, to the cause of not only defeating fascism, but also being in part of what is called in the Soviet USSR and now mm -hmm. Russia, the Great Patriotic War. Yeah. What that even with Stalin acting that way, they still continued the war. Like how many yeah. at what point are you like this guy's crazy too, but I don't think you had a choice because the option was between crazy Stalin and those guys over there who are somehow even worse. Totally. Like, yeah, the somehow even worse is what's so impressive about Hitler, you know? Like, I'm like, I, this whole thing is like, oh God, I hate Stalin. And I'm like, but I love the people who fucking stopped the Nazis, you know? But so this... The white rose of Stalingrad, internationally famous. She's like suddenly persona non grata. 
someone, um, one of her, I think someone that she fought alongside of, spent 36 years searching to find her body. She had been buried unidentified. And basically, like, eventually she finally finds this, like, village. And they're like, oh, yeah, we buried this lady pilot, you know? In 1990, she was given the award for Hero of the Soviet Union. And somehow she's just my favorite of today's heroes. She's 21. She decides to fight the Nazis that are murdering Jews like her everywhere they go. And she's willing to use the war machine that had disappeared her father in order to do it. She asked her mother what would be in store for her, something wonderful and magnificent, but maybe short or mundanity. She got something wonderful and magnificent and short. And, and we don't get to choose how long we live. We only get to choose with what time we ha- what we do with the time we have, right? To paraphrase Gandalf awkwardly. Fuck, I wasn't. I didn't even try to put a Lord of the Rings reference into this episode. But there you go. Bingo. It comes naturally. It's just part of. It's part of the natural order. Right? Yeah, it's just how it works. Yeah. Um, so this would have been Gorbachev, mm-hmm. and was this award to her part of a larger movement of like perestroika where he was trying to reform things do you know i don't or was know. she specifically selected because of her amazing um achievements i i honestly don't know and i i that's inter- interesting interesting question yeah yeah anyway after the war stalin went even more conservative he rebranded the propaganda of like women as warriors towards women as patriotic housekeeping mothers awards were now given to women who bore and raised more than seven children Divorce laws were made stricter. But first, as we've talked about, the Soviet Union bled and bled and bled and then stopped Nazi Germany. There's not really any other honest way to look at it. Everyone helped. Russia lost the most in the war to stop Germany. China lost the most in the war to stop Imperial Japan. And just to get dates correct, it's worth pointing out that the China involved in World War II is not communist China. That doesn't kick in until 1949. The USSR lost roughly 10 million soldiers in combat. China lost 3 to 4 million soldiers in combat. The US lost most of lost more than any of the other western powers at roughly 400,000 with the UK close behind at like uh, 384 or something off the top of my head. The Nazis in the Japan also lost millions each but like <laughs> I don't know fucking Nazi kind of irrelevant, right? Yeah. Yeah. Should have been more. Yeah. Yeah, or it should have been, they should have been three. They should have been like, oh, you've killed Hans. We give up, <laughs> you know? Right, no, fair. Yeah, right, don't <laughs> no, take that, yeah, don't yeah, misinterpret yeah, no, but, that. But, yeah. once, but once it went the way it was, it was like, should have been more. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. The civilian death toll overall was twice as high as the military death toll of World War II. But the USSR bled itself to stop fascism. The largest battle in World War II was the Battle of Moscow. It lasted more than three months. It lasted from September 1941 to January 1942. The Soviets took more than a million casualties during this battle alone, which is more than the rest of the Allies took combined for the entire war on the Western Front. This battle is the end of Operation Barbarossa, and it is the end of the German belief that they'd have... Sorry, please cut that. This battle was the end of Operation Barbarossa and the end of the German belief that they'd have an easy time conquering the USSR. And yet one interesting thing, the USSR went even more conservative, right? But all of these returning POWs, the ones who are seen as traitors, they go off to Siberian work camps. And the thing is, is the Siberian work camps are full of actual communists, including anarchists and Marxists. And something I really want to cover in the future that I I came across that I hadn't heard about before 
You get the democratic movement of Northern Russia, which is a Marxist and anarchist revolt in 1947 across the Siberian labor camps. And a bunch of the fucking returning POWs who've been called collaborators are like, all right, well, let's, if we're fighting for communism, let's fight for actual fucking communism. Because, and this doesn't work, right? But the reason I include it is to point out that like freedom will pop up everywhere, constantly, forever, unrepressibly, even if you're fucking Stalin. And that's a story for another time. Wow, that sort of does touch on what I mentioned a moment ago, so how long would they be willing to tolerate this? And so the point was that once the fascist threat had been removed, this group, which was also, of course, had other reasons to revolt as well, being put into a prison camp yeah. for doing their service yeah. to their to their country. But like you said, that they, well, now the time, at least for them, they tried at least to do what they originally wanted to do in the first place. Yeah. And that's noble in its own right. And I'd love to hear that topic. That sounds like something worth focusing on because like you said, it's, it's, it's the little weeds in the cracks of the rocks. Um, they're irrepressible. Yeah. Well, what else is irrepressible is your plugs. Yeah. Oh yeah. Unstoppable, complete mechanized force. Of I mean, you did YouTube have a pretty content. major right wing attempt to take you down. If, if anyone like wants <laughs> yes. to another reason to listen to in, to watch in range, just know that the right wing hates Carl because here was Carl. This is my version of your story to, to Carl as cool person who did cool stuff. Carl is in there and he's, he's, he's doing his thing as a, you know, gun historian and is talking about guns and showing off guns and doing like, you know, and, and being very responsible about it. And, and then slowly the right wing starts taking more and more control of the, you know, certain cultural spheres. And then they're like, wait, Carl, Carl's not one of us. Carl believes in freedom. And then they all freaked out and they were like, out with Carl, out with Carl. And there's like Reddit posts and like subreddits that are like committed to outing Carl as a terrible person for um, believing that people should be in charge of themselves and be nice to each other. Is that a, is that a, a reasonable? Yeah. I, yeah it, like, first of all, it's humbling to hear that. And I pr- appreciate you throwing that into the narrative and it is, it is true. And thank you for that. Um, it, it turns out, and I mean, we've always known that that, uh, first of all, the gun community isn't a community. It's a group of people that happen to like guns, but that doesn't <laughs> make a community. That's, that's people that like a thing. Um, so that phrase is always erroneous, but it was considered as such and putting content into that space before things got more visible or more polarized, yeah. um, attracted an audience that you didn't necessarily always know what they were about, but when things got to the nitty gritty and one was willing, and I'm not the only one, but mm-hmm. one of the seems like sadly few visible in that space um, that had at least some share of eyeballs was willing to stand up against it and say things like trans rights, LGBTQ people have rights to firearms and self-defense just like you do yeah. um, is strangely controversial take and immediately turns you into the enemy of all things good and natural, which is of course what fascists do the opposite um, their version of what is good and natural is horrible and awful and evil. And saying that and uh, drew their ire. And you said Reddit for Chan Kiwi Farms, um, another site I don't even to mention that's associated with uh, the AR-15 has pages and hundreds and pages of threads of people stalking <laughs> and doxing and all the things. But yet here we are and we still we persevere and hopefully are trying to create a more inclusive space for people that are interested in this topic or their own self-defense that otherwise wouldn't have a home. And uh, 
that wasn't that was that wasn't an intent or like a strategic goal. It was just me being naturally on myself, and it organically turned into that. But you saying that is a real honor, and I appreciate that very much. Yeah. So folks should check out Carl's work uh, and check out In Range, and folks should check out Cooler Zone Media so that you get the strange experience of hearing me toss to ads, but then having me immediately say, "And we're back." Um, which here I'll give you an example. This is this could be you if you subscribe to Cooler Zone Media. But you know what else is fun is these products, and we're back. See, that's what you could have every single time, assuming you have an Apple phone. <laughs> uh, but we're working on Android. That's what I got. That's my that's my plug. You can Google my name if you. Probably even Google my docs. I'd rather you didn't. But, you know. Yeah, I mean. Whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you Google InRange, you find all that. It, it, in, an, in an example of how the system works, you Google InRange, and some of the first stuff you'll find is what you were just mentioning. So, probably not that different for you, I'd imagine. I haven't. That's not as bad. That's interesting. It's not as, also, okay. I put out so much <laughs> shit, and there's only like one yeah. group that's been committed to doxing me. And it's funny, at one point on Twitter, I was like, Oh yeah, these like um, neo Nazis are, are doxing me, and they're like, they like made a burner account on Twitter to be like, we're neo Confederates. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's better. All right, like, okay, yeah. I, Where's your white flag? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, the um, the funny thing about this is, so often I'm sure you've encountered this. There's a certain, at least I have mm-hmm. in, in that space that I work in. These people that are like accuse you of, are you saying that you support queer rights? And I'm like. Yeah, and they're trying to make it an acquisition, yeah, accusation. Totally. And I'm like, no, I think this is a point of pride as a human being, as a decent human. Yeah. And it's so funny to see them try to make that a bad thing. And you're like, um, hello? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Sophie, you got anything to plug? Uh, my business partner, Robert Evans, has a substack like you do, <gasps> Magpie. Whoa. This is called Shatter Zone. Check it out. It's good. See you all next week when we talk about some cool people who did cool stuff. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Check out Unpacking Israeli History Podcast. From the history of infamous terror groups Hamas and Hezbollah to the story of Nakba to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. 
Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details.